afternoon, Tri-States. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. This is Ken in my Friday Reader Seat, reading from the Friday, March 10th edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. Remember that this and other IRIS programs are sponsored in part by Tupaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. And now we have our first piece from Above the Fold. Avilo plans first flights March 22nd. Officials for a commercial airline announced Thursday that they will begin offering flights from Dubuque to Orlando, Florida later this month. Avilo Airlines will begin flying out of Dubuque Regional Airport on March 22nd and will provide air service between Dubuque and Orlando on Wednesdays and Saturdays, according to a press release. This is great news, Airport Director Todd Dalsing said. It's great for our community, for Eastern Iowa, Northwest Illinois, and Southwest Wisconsin. We're very excited to begin our partnership with Avilo and welcome them to Dubuque. Avilo Airlines originally planned to begin offering air service out of the Dubuque Airport January 11th, but that flight was canceled after the airport was unable to secure Transportation Security Administration approval of a complete security plan. Since then, Avilo has been operating its scheduled Dubuque flights out of Eastern Iowa Airport in Cedar Rapids. Dubuque Regional Airport has been operating with a supporting security program under the TSA, which is required for airports that offer flights that hold 60 or fewer passengers. With the arrival of Avilo, which will operate Boeing 737 aircraft that can hold as many as 189 passengers, the airport was required to have an approved complete security plan. Dalsing confirmed Thursday that the airport had received the necessary TSA approval, with no additional reviews required, to beginning offering Avilo Air flights and the airport is ready to start service on March 22nd. We've got an approved airport security program implemented and our staff is all trained up and ready to go, he said. In the release, Avilo officials acknowledged the frustrations caused by the delay in the Dubuque airport receiving approval of its security program, but said they were excited to begin service locally. We know traveling to another airport was frustrating for Avilo customers, while Dubuque officials secured the airport's security plan approval from TSA, Avilo Airlines Chairman and CEO Andrew Levy said in the release. We can't wait to begin providing our customers with the convenient and smooth travel experience from Dubuque they want. Following the first flights, Avilo customers returning from Orlando to Dubuque will be offered free bus service to their origin point at Eastern Iowa Airport on March 22, 25, and 29. Dubuque Mayor Brad Kavanaugh thanked Avilo officials and customers for their patience as the local airport sought approval of its plan. I think it's going to be on the city now to make sure we provide the best possible service moving forward as we move past this period into regularly scheduled flights, he said. 
Officials announced late last year Avilo's plan to offer flights between Dubuque and Orlando, which will mark the return of commercial air service to Dubuque following the departure of American Airlines in September. Molly Grover is the president and CEO of Dubuque Area Chamber of Commerce, which leads an air service task force formed to attract new airlines to the community. She said confirmation of the start date for Avilo flights from Dubuque is great news for the business community and residents alike. Air service is an economic asset, she said. It's an expected amenity in this 21st century economy, and we are excited to hear that flights will be coming out of the Dubuque airport. She noted that approval of a complete security program is a long process for airports, but it opens the door for additional carriers in the future. Kavanaugh said local officials continue to have discussions about how they can attract more regular air service between Dubuque and a major hub. Those conversations happen every week, if not every day, he said. This happens on multiple fronts. We talk to the airlines. We talk to our partners at the federal government, the Federal Aviation Administration, and our legislators. We are talking with partners in every direction to make sure we get flights back because we recognize the need to have connecting flights to major hubs. The Dubuque Airport initially had planned a celebratory event surrounding the inaugural Avilo flight that was slated for January 11th. Dalsing said the event will now be held March 22nd, with more information to come early next week. Our next piece, Destination Iowa infuses $11 million into local projects. Dubuque Museum of Art receives funds for a new facility. Cities award to support Chaplin Schmidt Island improvements. Two Dubuque projects were awarded a combined $11 million in grant money from the final round of Destination Iowa funding. Dubuque Museum of Art was awarded $8 million toward the construction of a new and expanded museum and a 10,000-square-foot outdoor sculpture garden. The award represents 20% of the total project investment of $39,931,512. The museum's application request was for $10 million. This grant is a catalyst that helps stakeholders see the project's diverse impacts from attracting new employees to the area, retaining population and drawing tourists, to providing an environment in which families can grow and thrive, Museum Executive Director Gary Stoppelman said in a written statement. This grant is a testament to the generosity and vision of the community members who provided the matching funds that made this state support possible. A press release from the museum states that officials plan for architectural designs to start this summer and for work to be substantially completed by the fourth quarter of 2026. The city of Dubuque was awarded $3 million for the addition of an open-air amphitheater on Chaplin Schmidt Island. The award represents 19% of the total project investment of $15.4 million. Today is a great day for Dubuque, said Alex Dixon, president and CEO of DRA and Q Casino. Great things happen when you come together as a team.
The city of Dubuque in October applied for a $7.3 million Destination Iowa grant, working closely with the DRA, which is spearheading the creation of a comprehensive development plan for the remaining, or rather the re-imaging, of Chaplin Schmidt Island, where the casino is located. In a hyper-competitive application process, we were selected as a destination project, Dixon said. We didn't receive the full amount we asked for, but this is a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of. We're grateful and excited to get work and to make the vision a reality. Dubuque Mayor Brad Kavanaugh said he sees securing the grant money as dovetailing with the vision community leaders are trying to create. All these things go together, he said. What we're trying to do here is build a city that is going to be a true destination for people who want to live here and for people to want to come here and visit as tourists. Kavanaugh called the amphitheater project a sort of cornerstone for all the great work coming to Chaplin Schmidt Island. I'm really, really excited about the work going on over there, he said. Dubuque Museum of Art, he said, has reimagined its place within the community. The project is strongly tied to the opportunities defined by the city's master plan for arts and culture and strengthening and expanding economic and community vitality, he said. Dubuque Area Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Molly Grover also sees the grant money as helping create the culture the community needs. The grants to the museum and to Chaplain Schmidt will help to attract talent, grow our population, and make Dubuque the best place to live, work, and play and do business, Grover said. The arts and outdoor recreation, we know those are desired by people when deciding where to make a life and career. Governor Kim Reynolds and Iowa Economic Development Authority on Thursday announced $26.88 million in grant funding through the seventh and last round of Destination Iowa, a $100 million investment in quality of life and tourism attractions supported through federal American Rescue Plan Act money. Reynolds also announced an additional investment of $15 million to fund Destination Iowa applications from rural communities that did not receive grants in previous rounds. Among those awards, Clayton County Conservation Board was awarded $345,000 to modernize and enhance the Osborne Welcome Center and Campground. The award represents 40% of the total project investment of $862,500. In all, Destination Iowa awards were granted to 46 projects totaling $115 million that activated $480 billion or million, excuse me, $480,265,783 in total investment. IEDA opened the Destination Iowa program in May 2022 with projects scored based on eligibility, completeness, and the project's ability to meet the program goal of creating transformational tourism attractions. Our third and final piece, local graduation rates vary. And this piece has a large center picture 
of a person handing what yes a calculator to a young man with a line of people and the caption to the picture reads Tammy Muring hands out a calculator to Joel Ostola a student at Hempstead High School during Dubuque Community Schools Pave the Way Testing Day at Grand River Center in Dubuque on Wednesday and our article reads the number of Dubuque students graduating from public high schools in four years saw a slight increase last year, though state data shows that impacts from the COVID-19 pandemic continue to linger. Dubuque Community School District's four-year graduation rate was 82.4% in 2022, according to data recently released by the Iowa Department of Education. That's up from 81.9% in 2021, but down from 88.5% in 2019. Members of the class of 22 would have been sophomores when the pandemic began. Because graduation rates are a 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade accumulation, we're not going to see it rebound overnight, said Mark Burns, the district's executive director of secondary education. It's a four-year effort. Other districts saw a variety of trends, with some districts returning to or exceeding pre-pandemic numbers, while others continue to look for ways to bolster student success. Statewide, the four-year public school graduation rate was 89.9% in 2022. That figure was 87.3% in Illinois. Statewide graduation data for 2022 has not yet been released in Wisconsin. Dubuque Community Schools had been experiencing a slight decline in its four-year graduation rate for several years, according to state data. But that drop accelerated with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Last year's 82.4% four-year graduation rate showed gains over 2021, though it still was lower than the 88.5% in 2019 and the 89.68% in 2017. To increase graduation rates, Burns said, the district plans to continue emphasizing its multi-tiered system of support. Through that process, Teachers and staff identify students who are struggling and create plans to address any issues the student might be facing. Another major focus will be on increasing attendance, which can correlate to student success and graduation readiness. Around 26% of Dubuque Community School students were chronically absent last school year compared to 12.9% of students who fell into that category in the 2018-2019 year. We're really focused on trying to make sure our students are in class at the rate they need to be, Burns said. We have a whole packet of things we can do to help with that. But the easiest thing to do is establish strong relationships in and out of the classroom so students want to come to school. There are disparities in graduation rates across students of different racial groups in the district. White students in Dubuque had a four-year graduation rate of 88.7% for 2022, in comparison to 57.7% of black students and about 26.3% of students with Pacific Islander heritage. 
Burns said the district is aware of those discrepancies and is working to find ways to address the issue. One way the district hopes to do so is in increasing the availability and diversity of mentoring options and student groups for minority students. He pointed to clubs or groups such as the Dubuque District's Black Excellence Associations and Pacific Islander Club as two ways students can find support and camaraderie necessary for students to feel connected to the school environment. Other area districts also are working to bolster graduation rates after the pandemic. Bellevue Community School District saw a 92.3% four-year graduation rate last year, up from 91.1% in 2021, but down from 98.3% in 2019 and 93.75% in 2017. Superintendent Tom Meyer said the district was happy to see an increase in the number of students graduating in four years, but that there still was work to be done. He said the district is focusing on identifying at-risk students early and finding ways to bolster their educational support. Obviously, the goal is to have 100% of our students graduate in four years, he said. Other districts returned to or even exceeded pre-pandemic graduation rates last year through a variety of approaches. Western Dubuque Community School District had a 2022 four-year graduation rate of 99.6%, equal to the 2021 rate and up from 98.6% in 2019 and 97.15% in 2017. Cascade Junior Senior High School Principal Ryan Fritz attributed that success to the district's emphasis on proactively addressing any academic issues a student might have with the goal that students pass every class the first time they take it. He also pointed to the district's alternative education program through which teachers at Western Dubuque High School offer an alternative learning environment for district students who need one while also ensuring they meet educational benchmarks. We do have some opportunities to fill in any gaps, but I think the biggest thing is just communication and working with parents and students to develop a plan that ensures student success, Fritz said. Area private schools also boasted high graduation rates, with Wallert Catholic High School in Dubuque, Beckman Catholic High School in Dyersville, Marquette Catholic Schools in Bellevue, and Tri-State Christian School in Asbury, all reporting 100% four-year graduation rates for 2022. The 100% graduation rate is something that we stand behind with such pride, said Wallert Principal Maria Reeves. All means all for us, and we want to ensure that every student who crosses the threshold each morning not only completes school, but graduates with the ability to enter life after high school. Now we turn to a little bit of our Dubuque and Tri-State news. And leading that, we have second phase of Northwest Arterial Repair Project to begin soon. 
A major rehabilitation and reconstruction project along a busy Dubuque road will kick off its second year of construction next week. Crews will resume work on the project to bring the Northwest Arterial into a state of good repair on Wednesday, March 15th, a press release states. The $9.2 million multi-phase project is a partnership between the City of Dubuque and Iowa Department of Transportation and features major improvements on the arterial from U.S. 20 to John F. Kennedy Road. Work completed in 2022 included reconstructing the arterial's intersections with Pennsylvania Avenue and Asbury Road, as well as milling, repaving, and adding a four-foot shoulder to the southbound arterial lanes, the release states. This year, remaining segments of the northbound lanes from the Catfish Creek Bridge to JFK will be completely reconstructed. Work will begin March 15th with the installation of temporary traffic signals at the arterial's intersections with Plaza Drive and with Chauvenel Road. Motorists can expect minor traffic impacts at the Asbury Road intersection, where the curbed median on the south side of the intersection will be replaced and three Americans with Disability Act compliant sidewalk ramps will be reconstructed. About a week later, crews will begin working concurrently to reconstruct northbound lanes on two sections of the northwest arterial, from the Catfish Creek Bridge to just north of Chauvenel Road and from just north of Asbury Road to just south of JFK. During this construction period, scheduled to last from late March to mid-June, traffic will be head-to-head in the Northwest Arterial's southbound lanes. Access will be maintained at the Chauvenel Road and Plaza Drive intersections, the release states. However, the right-in, right-out access to Associates Drive and the right-in, right-out access road to Sam's Club will be temporarily closed. The final step of the project, scheduled from mid-June to mid-August, will see the reconstruction of the northbound lanes from just north of Pennsylvania Avenue to just south of Asbury Road. Traffic will shift to head-to-head in the southbound lanes on that section of the arterial, and access at the Holiday Drive intersection will be limited to right-in, right-out only. Northbound arterial traffic will need to access Holiday Drive from Asbury Road. Work is slated to be substantially completed by the time students return to school, the release states. The majority of the project's cost will be covered by state funds and grants. A total of $75,000 in City of Dubuque funds will be used to extend the left turn lane at JFK. Residents can find out more details on the project at cityofdubuque.org forward slash nwarterial and can sign up to receive email or text messages updating the project at cityofdubuque.org forward slash nwarterial updates. Now we turn to our opinion page, and today we have uh, a piece, uh, Other View, 
from Matthew Osterhaus from Osterhaus Pharmacy. He's a community consultant pharmacist who manages Osterhaus Pharmacy and M&M Care in Maquoketa, Iowa. He's a graduate of the University of Iowa College of Pharmacy. He was a board member the Board of Trustees of the American Pharmacists Association from 2007 to 2016, serving as the 159th president in 2014. And his piece is titled, Drug Industry Middlemen Need a Good Dose of Sunlight. I recently read Senator Chuck Grassley's testimony to the Senate Commerce Committee about high drug prices. He pointed to pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, as the primary reason for the high costs. As a community pharmacist serving patients in a rural area, I agree with Senator Grassley and thank him for attempting to hold PBMs accountable. Community pharmacists and our patients have suffered the consequences of the PBMs tactics for years. They are the middlemen who coordinate the purchase of prescription drugs from the drug company to the pharmacy counter. You'd think PBMs would favor the least expensive and most effective medications, but unfortunately, that is far from the case. Just three powerful PBMs control 80% of the pharmaceutical drug market. PBMs own their own pharmacies and health insurance companies. This is an anti-competitive practice economists call vertical integration. Senator Grassley is asking the Federal Trade Commission to investigate the harmful impact this has on access to pharmacy products and services at a fair price. The three powerful PBMs are also guilty of using their trade secrets to block lower-priced prescription drugs from coverage under Medicare Part D and private insurance. This plays out with insulin and other high-cost drugs when PBMs benefit from a system of high list prices for drugs and then pocket the undisclosed rebates from manufacturers. PBMs bring little value to the process but find ways to extract from manufacturers. Plans, sponsors, employers, pharmacies, and patients. These PBMs tactics must end. Under the current PBM price gouging regimen, patients, pharmacists, and taxpayers get a raw deal while PBMs get rich. I'm glad Senator Grassley has introduced the PBM Transparency Act, a common sense effort to hold PBMs accountable. Patients, taxpayers, and pharmacists thank Senator Grassley for his efforts. And now we have a few letters to the editor for today. And our first one, Care for Earth to Protect Species from Extinction. Catherine Erig, Carriage Hill Drive, Dubuque. In the last hundred years, according to Natural History Museum, Almost 500 species have gone extinct due to the actions of humans. More than a quarter of all species may be extinct by 2100. Humans are currently leading themselves into a downfall. We have destroyed ecosystems, 
littered the oceans, and polluted the air. Mass extinction is accelerating with species dying at an alarming rate. Currently, each year the planet loses the same amount of species that were lost in 100 years. Some animals in danger of going extinct include the polar bear, plankton, elephants, whales, and manta rays. These animals, insects, are important because they balance out the ecosystem. Humans need a healthy balance to exist. Animals that have already gone extinct include the pinta tortoise, clouded leopard, West African black rhinoceros, and Madagascar hippopotamus. These animals are all important for our ecosystem. Animals and insects are the foundation of all ecosystems. One of the main reasons for extinction is methane gas has been emitted from the core of the earth due to global warming. If too much methane gas gets into our atmosphere, temperatures on earth will become too high to support human life. To help the human race continue, the need for change is now. As a young person, I am watching many animals go extinct. We focus on the large animals, but tend to forget about the smaller creatures, such as honeybees, butterflies, and plankton. Humans cannot live without these animals. Our next letter, Social Emotional Learning Helps Students. Amelia Oglesby, Cleveland Avenue, Dubuque. Social-emotional learning, SEL, has been taught since 1994 and continues today. It consists of skills like stress management, growth mindset, empathy, and more. A bill in the Iowa Senate would ban the Department of Education in Iowa from promoting SEL in schools, which would have the effect of taking SEL teaching out of the curriculum in Iowa schools. Opponents of SEL argue that its teaching style can include promoting critical race theory and LGBTQ rights. While many others go against this because SEL assists students in regulating their emotions and teaches fundamental social skills. These skills work for students K-12 through and support them long after schooling. In kindergarten, children are taught to keep their hands to themselves, how to handle extreme emotions, and how to treat their peers. Kindergartners without this guidance would fail as they progress in school, especially if topics like these weren't taught. Personally, moving from elementary school to middle school was a major transition in the amount of work that needed to be done. Knowing I was struggling, my teachers taught me stress management and growth mindset. These skills have helped me to keep my head cool and also push myself to keep trying. The approach of this learning is to help students in navigating how they deal with emotions, work, and school and social encounters. Therefore, this way of teaching should not be removed from Iowa schools. Our third letter. Parents have right to say on school reading materials. Hank Linden, White Street, Dubuque. As a former elected school board member and chairman of the Curriculum Committee for Schools, allowing parents to decide what their children are taught is a parent's right. The Hatch Amendment, or the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, states, We would like to address the issue of parents' ability to review classroom material. 
Our desire is that we are able to review materials and address issues with our child concurrent with the curriculum and within the framework of our family, as well as having the appropriate knowledge to discern the curriculum's alignment of lack thereof with our family's belief. So contrary to Helena Stinton's recent letter to the editor, parents are allowed to be the sole decision makers in what their children learn. Also, parents in the district are allowed, without interference from the school district, to examine their children's textbooks along with the teacher textbooks they use. And our final letter? City proposal feels like USSR. John Clower, Clark Drive, Dubuque. In our city council's never-ending quest to emulate the former USSR, they, along with city manager Mike Van Milligan, are proposing to keep track of how much water we use, which they are already doing, and also how much electricity we use. Uncle Joe Stalin will be so proud. I hope everyone in this city will remember this come election time and send them all a message that we are still living in the United States of America and not Russia or China or some two-bit communist dictatorship. Nobody on the city council has a right or a need to know how much of anything I use. It is time for Van Milligan to be given his next assignment. If the council is so concerned about wasted water and or electricity, let them shut off the water in their own homes and save electricity by shutting off microphones and lights in chambers. They are apparently already operating in the dark. Let us all here highly resolve that the only votes they get next election is their own. Good candidates needed now. Obviously, we need new leadership here in the People's Democratic Republic of Dubuque. Well, you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. You are listening to the Friday, March 10th edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. This is Ken in the reader seat presenting that news to you today. And now we will turn to today's obituaries. Eugene C. Heron. Eugene Charles Heron, 87, of Dubuque, died Monday, February 27th, at a Noble Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Dubuque. Visitation will be from 3 to 6 p.m. Sunday, March 12th, at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory. The funeral service for Eugene will be 10.30 a.m. Monday, March 13th, at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, with Deacon Dave Roth officiating. Burial will be in Asbury Cemetery. Eugene was born July 15, 1935, in Dubuque, the son of Charles S. and Carol H. Sitterly Heron. He graduated from Dubuque Senior High School. Eugene last worked as a trolley driver for the city of Dubuque. He was a member of the Rock and Mineral Society and the Foreign Exchange Club. Eugene enjoyed traveling and always tried to make others laugh. Hoffman, Schneider, and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory is in care of the arrangements. A photo tribute can be viewed and condolences sent to the family by visiting Gene's obituary at www.h.com. 
skfhcares.com. Dennis Johnston, Davenport. Dennis E. Johnston, 60, of Davenport, passed away March 6th at his home after a brave battle with cancer. A celebration of life will be from 2 to 6 p.m. Saturday, March 18th at Happy's Place, 2323 Rockdale Road, Dubuque. Dennis was born May 23rd, 1962, in Dubuque. The son of Eulogius and Anna May Sullivan Johnston. He graduated from Hempstead High School in Dubuque. He married Gail Risen September 10, 1982. Into this union, five children were born, and they later divorced. Dennis married Nanette Henkel, July 17, 2010. Dennis worked in construction and property maintenance for 45 years. The only thing he loved more than working on cars was his family. His children and grandchildren were his proudest accomplishments, and he loved spending time with them and his wife. Online condolences may be sent to the family at www.illiowacremation.com. Rita May Cluck. Rita May Cluck, 96, of Dubuque, died Monday, March 6th. Private services will be held. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road is assisting the family. Andrea K. Kenna, Galena. Andrea K. Kenna, 75, of Galena, died Wednesday, March 8th. Arrangements are pending. Furlong Funeral Chapel of Galena is assisting the family. Mary A. Wechter, Dyersville. Mary A. Wechter, 87, of Dyersville, died Thursday, March 9th. Visitation will be held from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, March 14th, at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. A massive Christian burial will follow at 11 a.m. at St. Francis Xavier Basilica in Dyersville. Burial will take place in the church cemetery. And we have still a couple of uh, pieces of tri-state news. Dubuque eyes long-term plans for city pools. The city of Dubuque is continuing to examine the future of its pools. On Wednesday, while presenting the Dubuque Recreation Division's budget for fiscal year 2024, which begins on July 1st, Recreation Division Manager Dan Kroger said the city intends to develop a long-term infrastructure plan of its recreational facilities, including Flora and Sutton pools as they continue to age. We really need to start thinking about the facilities that we have, Kroger said. There has been, or has to be, some future planning. No details were provided on when the plans might be completed. Sutton Pool was built in 1936 and Flora in 1955. They were rebuilt in 1990 and 1991. Since then, the city continues to spend significant amounts of money to maintain the aging facilities. 
City Council members in December approved the plans, specifications, and form of contract related to an estimated expenditure of $215,000 to replace Flora's main pool filter tanks and circulation pump. Plans call for the future replacement of the filter tanks at Sutton as well. In the proposed budget for fiscal year 2024, the city intends to spend another $167,000 to resurface Flora's pool tank and playground. Kroger said developing a plan to examine the future needs of the pool will help it to better prepare for the costs of maintaining both of them. Mayor Brad Kavanaugh said he appreciates the work by city staff to keep the pools open, but added that the city will need to look at the future of the facilities more closely. We got to start talking about the pools a little more as we think about this, Kavanaugh said. I'm just glad to hear that things are moving in a good direction. The city must approve its budget for fiscal year 2024 by the end of April. A breakdown of department budgets presented on Wednesday from the Parks Division. Revenue or resources projected, 673000 Expenditures projected, $4.49 million. Expenses change from fiscal year 23 budgeted, 2.3% increase. Tax support requested, $3.8 million. Tax support current year, million. Employment change, adding one full-time confidential account clerk, one forestry technician and one assistant horticulturalist, and removing one equipment operator and one part-time maintenance worker, resulting in the equivalent of 39.59 full-time employees. Recommended improvement packages, $50,000 to create additional pollinator areas throughout the city's park systems, 65000 to add one full-time confidential account clerk position. 9500 to replace the furnace in the building that houses the park division manager. 23500 to convert the park maintenance headquarters complex from boiler heat to natural gas. $1,500 to purchase a video projector and retractable projector screen. to purchase a mini excavator. The Multicultural Family Center, revenue or resources projected, $7,400. Expenditures projected, $710,000. Expense change from fiscal year 2023, budgeted, 9.3% increase. Tax support requested, $702,647. Tax support current year, $642,233. Employment change, creating an additional hours of site supervision for the site supervisors, resulting in the equivalent of 5.49 full-time employees. Recommended improvement packages, $21,183 to add 910 hours of site supervision at the Multicultural Family Center by site supervisors. Recreation Division. Revenue or resources projected, $1.97 million. Expenditures projected, $3.77 million. 
Expense change from fiscal year 2023 budgeted, 10.3% increase. Tax support requested, $1.79 million. Tax support current year, $1.57 million. Employment change, transfer a part-time communications assistant from leisure services to the public information office, resulting in the equivalent of 42.25 full-time employees. Recommended improvement packages, $2,500 to fund three annual department-wide trainings around professional development and equitable service delivery. Raise Bunker Hills golf course fees, including a $15 increase on season golf and cart passes, $10 increase on cart punch cards, and a $1 increase to weekend golf fees and daily cart rentals, resulting in $21,143 in additional revenue. And we have one more tri-state piece. Area School District in Wisconsin eyes approval to exceed revenue limits. This comes from Hazel Green. Southwestern Wisconsin School District voters will be asked next month to approve a $3.9 million operating referendum that district leaders say is essential to maintaining staff and services. The measure will appear on the April 4th ballot. It will mark the first time the district has asked voters to approve such a measure, which covers operating costs rather than capital projects. Operational costs are things like lights, programming, and staff costs, Superintendent John Costello said. We've been fiscally responsible, but a lot of costs have gone up to create a larger fiscal cliff for districts. If approved, the measure would allow the district to exceed its revenue limit by up to $1.2 million for the 2023-24 academic year, $1.3 million for the 24-25 academic year, and $1.4 million for the 25-26 academic year, and to levy those funds via local property taxes. The funds would be used to help cover standard operating and programming expenses for the next three school years. The exact amount borrowed will depend on funding allocated by the state in its upcoming biennial budget. If approved, the measure is expected to result in little to no tax increase because the district has worked to pay off other previous debt, Costello said. The Southwestern District is one of 52 districts statewide seeking approval to exceed revenue limits on the April 4th ballot, according to data from the State Department of Public Instruction. District leaders say that numbers reflect a need for more state funding to be allocated to schools. We're not in a unique situation here. There are so many schools in the state of Wisconsin doing this, said school board president Jackie Burkett. So what's broken here is the system, really, that forces schools to go and ask their communities for more funding. Wisconsin school funding largely is controlled by state-set revenue limits that cap how much money districts can raise through state general aid and property taxes. Lawmakers have not raised those limits since 2019. 
saying schools can use federal aid given out during the COVID-19 pandemic to fund projects and programming. The Southwestern District received $700,000 of such aid through the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund, though the last of those funds was used to balance this school year's budget. If the ballot measure does not receive a simple majority on the April ballot, then the district will have to look at ways to reduce the district's largest expenses, including salaries, benefits, and purchased services, as soon as the 2023-24 school year. We're at bare bones with our budget right now with the way things are and the way inflation is rising. But we'd have to look at making some cuts, Costello said. We don't have a lot of wiggle room with that. So we're doing everything in our power so we can sustain our budget. For those interested in hearing more on this subject, Southwestern Wisconsin School District will host several community meetings over the next month to answer questions voters might have on its proposed $3.9 million operating referendum. All meetings will take place at 6 p.m. on the following dates and locations. March 15th at the Middle High School Multimedia Room. March 20th at the Middle High School Multimedia Room. March 22nd at the Middle High School Multimedia Room. March 23rd at the Jamestown Township Fire Station in Keeler. March 29th at the Jamestown Township Fire Station in Keeler. District residents will vote on the matter on April 4th. Voters can find their polling place online at myvote.wi.gov forward slash en dash us forward slash find dash my dash polling dash place. Now we'll turn at to some of our news in brief. Dubuque woman sentenced to probation after pleading guilty to drug charges. A Dubuque woman who faced drug charges has been sentenced to five years of probation. Ashley Sloan, 34, recently was given a sentence in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after pleading guilty to three counts of controlled substance violation. An additional count of controlled substance violation, as well as a charge of possession of drug paraphernalia, were dismissed as part of a plea deal, according to sentencing order from the Iowa District Court Judge Thomas Bitter. If she violates the terms of her probation, she faces a 10-year prison term. Court documents state that Sloan sold crack cocaine to a confidential informant who came to her then-residence in the 800 block of Romberg on July 13th, 17th, and 24th, 2020. A warrant for Sloan's arrest in connection with those incidents was issued in October 2020. Documents state that police then saw Sloan driving near the intersection of Romberg and East 20th Street on February 23, 2021, and conducted a traffic stop because of the warrant. Subsequent search of Sloan's vehicle found a leather pouch containing two plastic bags of cocaine, along with a digital scale with a large amount of white residue, documents state. East Dubuque Fire Department to host meetings on upcoming referendum. 
The Volunteer Fire Department of East Dubuque will hold multiple community meetings to share information about the referendum asking voters to help pay for new equipment. If approved by a majority of voters on April 4th, the measure would seek the city would see the city issue up to $1.5 million in bonds to buy two new fire trucks. The department then would eliminate three of its four current vehicles. An online announcement from the fire department states that the three informational sessions on the referendum will be held from 10 a.m. to noon, Saturday, March 11th, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. March 25th, and 6 to 8 p.m. on April 3rd. The March 11th and April 3rd events will be held at the fire station, with the March 25th event to occur in various neighborhoods, including the Montgomery Hill area, Hill Street area, and Flats area, according to announcements. Farley Mann receives a 10-year prison sentence. David J. Lehman, 65, of Farley, recently was given the sentence in Iowa District Court of Dubuque County after being found guilty of lascivious acts with a child. The sentence was ordered by Iowa District Judge Monica Zrini-Ackley. Lehman's trial commenced December 13th at the Dubuque County Courthouse, and the jury rendered its verdict December 19th. The jury also found Lehman not guilty of two additional counts of, of lascivious acts with a child, as well as three counts of indecent contact with a child and one count each of second-degree sexual abuse and third-degree sexual abuse. Court documents state that Lehman was accused of sexually abusing three girls younger than 13. The instance from which the charges arose occurred in the spring of 2020 in Dubuque County. Documents state that Dyersville police were notified of the incidents in August 2020. Each of the girls was interviewed that September at the Child Protection Center at Unity Point Health in Hiawatha, Iowa. A warrant for Lehman's arrest was issued in November of 2020. Food drive occurring. Maquoketa Valley Electric Cooperative is holding a food drive this month to collect donations for area pantries. The drive will continue through March 31st. Collection locations are the fairway stores in Piasta, Manchester, Maquoketa, and Monticello. The items that are in the highest demand are canned fish and meat, dry pasta, pasta sauces, macaroni and cheese, peanut butter, canned or dry soups, oatmeal and healthy cereal, snack items for children, toilet paper, diapers, baby wipes, feminine hygiene products, toothpaste, and shampoo. Collected items will be donated to food pantries in Delaware, Dubuque, Jackson, and Jones County. Police. Woman left a toddler in car during her work shift. Hmm. Police said a woman... Dubuque woman left her toddler alone in a car while she worked a shift at an Asbury, Iowa care facility on a cold January day. Valerie Humphrey, 29, of 3280 Hillcrest, number 3, was arrested at 3.10 a.m. Thursday at Dubuque Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging child endangerment. Court documents state that on January 8th, Humphrey left her two-year-old daughter alone in a vehicle during a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift at Luther Manor Communities in Asbury. The day's high temperature reached 27 degrees in Asbury, documents state. And now we have our weekend buzz. The noteworthy things to do this weekend in the tri-states, if you can get out from under the snow. Rhino at the Mississippi Moon Bar today, 8 p.m., Four-piece Twin Cities-based band performs modern, alternative, 80s, and classic rock. You have to be 21 to attend. Admission, no cover charge. 
Dubuque Audubon Society Duck Waddle. Saturday, Green Island Wildlife Management Area in Bellevue, 6 a.m. The conservation group invites the public to a free event to observe birds in one of the state's largest wetland complexes. Attendees who want to carpool or caravan should meet in the Banworth Utilhoven Furniture Parking Lot at the junction of US 61-151 and US 52 at 6 a.m. Saturday. Participants may also join the group at Green Island at 645. Attendees are encouraged to bring binoculars and dress warmly. For information, 563-556-0156. Dyersville St. Patrick's Festivities, Saturday, downtown Dyersville at 9.30 a.m. Dyersville's early St. Patrick's celebration will feature a morning of races, a parade through downtown starting at 1.30 p.m., and music, food, and drink specials throughout the day and into the evening. Admission is free with fees associated for some events and food specials. You may call 563-875-2311 for more information. Spring Garage Sale, Dubuque County Fairgrounds, 10 to 2 p.m., 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the Community Garage Sale, admission is $1. You have been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. This has been Ken, reading from the Friday, March 10th edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. Brought to you in part by Dupaco and the RW Hafer Foundation. Always remember... There's more than just me and the other five or four people that read the news to you from Dubuque, from Iris. Tune in and get all kinds of other programming from the Iris station. Take care in that snow that you've got up there. I'm down here in Missouri where it's kind of cold, but no snow. Until next week, be safe. Bye-bye.